back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And my name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at No Clutch Nate. And I'm Sam, the host of the Justice League Universe podcast. And I also have a comic and screen.blogspot.com where I collect a lot of my stuff. And we have a lot of all the scripts and themes and analyses um, from the Justice League podcast over there. Also, I'm just a big fan of you guys. I listen to you all the time on a lot of your various things, so it's it's fun to be back and to chat about stuff together. You're putting a big smile on my face, cheesing from cheek to cheek. Yes, uh, and you know, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this week to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League. But yes, if listeners, if you want more analytical content about these movies, you must check out JLU Podcast. Um, I first discovered your show on YouTube, actually, where you did like analytical um, chapters of uh, Dawn of Justice and Man of Steel. And you guys put in a lot of work. I mean, it was a, it was a team of people, a Justice League of, team <laughs> of people, uh, you know, contributing um, a diagnosis and, and, and analytical and comprehension of these movies mm-hmm. in a way that really spurred the movement of how to think about these movies. And, you know, as I've talked about in my history, like, you know, not initially like not being... Uh, too invested in these movies and now being super invested into these movies um it's 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 works like this and conversations like this that make these popcorn movies more than popcorn movies and makes them like discussions like as we discuss stories and why these stories give our life meaning it's like because it helps us as who we are so yeah you know your your show has been one of the best um and we've in in our journey to talk about these movies minute by minute we've discovered many people like you that have shows like this that um are wanting to talk about um and and analyze and scrutinize all the details and celebrate these movies and i see yeah. i'm stealing that line from another podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah it is cool like you guys are part of it but just yeah the having these conversations and really getting a lot of depth out of them it's it's really fun and it, it does um take it to another level, another level than just kind of watching the movie. And sometimes in real life, it's even happened. I was at a conference and I was at just like the lunch part of the conference with a bunch of people from all over the place. But I was at this table and then somehow a guy I didn't know, but like in small talk, it came out that we like both liked DC movies. And then it came out that we both like were actually big fans of Batman v Superman, which is a it's always special when that happens in real life because a lot of the general public is like, oh, BVS, that's a big mess, blah, 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 it's overbloated, blah, blah. So to find somebody else, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I love that movie. And, like, we started just talking about it and talking about it at lunch. And we were talking about, like, some of the pretty deep themes about, like, what we've taken from it and stuff. And then there were these other people at the table, and eventually it was kind of like they were sort of listening, like, oh, you guys talking about comic movies? Yeah, and then we asked them, like, which one they liked. And they were like, oh, yeah, we like. And then they sort of mentioned like a different superhero universe that they liked um, rather than like the one we'd been talking about. But we just asked them like, oh, you know, like what what do you get from those movies or whatever? And they're like, I just like them. You know, they're fun. And then they had heard what we were talking about. And so we like asked them, you know, like, are there some like some deeper meanings that you come? They're like, yeah, yeah. Ours have deeper meanings, too. And so we, we like asked them to talk about it. And they just go uh, like overpopulation. <laughs> And then that yeah. was that was it. It was like just that was the word. Like that that's a theme that they got from their movies was overpopulation. So for me, it was just like okay, I think we're gonna go back to our conversation over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, and I've been I as well have been at dinners where 
people have been like, oh, what's your favorite comic book movie? And it's like, I'm going to say this movie. <laughs> and, and, and when I tell you what movie it is, like, then you're going to be, you're going to have so many questions for me. So when I say it's like, oh, I think Dawn of Justice is like just the, the best comic book movie I've ever seen. And then they'd be like, oh, why, why is that? Why would you say such a thing? It's like then having to get into um, the fall of man and the rising again and like kindness is everything and it changes the world. And it's like, that's, you know, Wonder Woman teaches those same lessons. And it's like that, you know, that's very nutritious for us as, as humans as we grow up. And, um, and then for that conversation to always naturally spin into Star Wars um, is the same thing where it's like, people then start to talk about star Wars. And then there's always that conversation about whether you like the last Jedi or not. Mm. And then that becomes a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. like, but it's the same thing. It's, it, it's like, yeah. you know, people seem to not like Dawn of justice and there's people who seem to not like the last Jedi. And the, both those movies have uh, a lot of discussion that's, that's needed. Yeah. I, and, and, and warranted right. by, by the people who make those movies. Like, no, we want you to have those conversations. We're not saying you you know like the answer is this it's like talk about it mm -hmm. talk about what makes a hero what makes a you know and yeah. ray skywalker being such an important character and you know um because it's it's her trilogy it's like talk about what makes ray a hero and and you know what makes batman a superman a hero as well so it's very important stuff cool um i've always loved having those kind of conversations yeah. and i think by doing these podcasts it's always helped me prepare what to say because it's like, it's all internal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when people are like, Oh, I like these movies, but I don't know how to like say it. It's like, yeah, well, we have a lot of practice because we get to talk about it every episode Yeah, and, and really exercise um, the lessons in it. So it's like, it's awesome. Good, good, I love the last, stuff. I love the last Jedi too, but yeah, I've had that similar thing where like, I I'm reluctant to some bring up that I love the last Jedi cause it gets mixed reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and even if I'm not crazy about a movie, I think it's important to, again, exercise things that you like about it rather than like tearing yeah, it down. What, yeah. Something that they say in The Last Jedi, right? It's like, um, talk about what you like about it. So um, I, I talked about Avatar um, in, in yesterday's episode, a franchise I wasn't really invested in before, but now I'm like super mm -hmm. invested into mm -hmm. it. Um, Avatar, it's like, talk about what you like about it. It's like, oh, why, well, you know, they're about the conservation and, you know, we have to protect our, our, our natural world. And, 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 you know, you, you mentioned it with, um, in, in, in our very first Monday episode about Clark Kent returning to nature as well, mm -hmm. not just the Kent family home, but return to nature. And it's like, we must do that for ourselves. It's very important for us. And it's like, Avatar teaches those things. And it's like, oh, we should learn from that. We should talk about that. And, I think it's very important. Uh, so I do it I, with the Marvel movies still. Like um, as I watch those movies, I think it's a very, very important that it's like, okay, maybe it's not your favorite comic book movie. And just because it's a Marvel movie doesn't mean you need a dog on it in any way, but like find something, find mm -hmm. something to talk about. Like, well, I, I kind of like that. And I kind of like this. And um, you know, I would also say that about uh, Transformers movies where it's like, they can be very schlocky and you're, you know, they are popcorn movies in some way, but it's like, find, find something. Yeah. Yeah. Find one thing and just be like, I really want to talk about character development for X, Y, and Z or, yeah. and, you know, the morals of it. And right. Like, yeah. And that's what I, that or was how it didn't do good. That was part of why I started the justice league universe podcast was just, I wanted to just focus on positive things. Like I, I was first of all, trying to figure out the meaning of the movie and how I was thinking about it. So it was like a processing thing. 
but it was also like I just wanted to talk positively about stuff rather than all the mudslinging and all the criticizing and mm-hmm. stuff that happens online. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, listeners, definitely check out JLU podcast and also find out any other analytical uh, film podcast because it's very good to hear other people's conversations like these. But today we're talking about minute 185 of part six, something darker. The minute is going to start with the flying flocks flying. And then the minutes, uh, the minute is going to end with Menelipe uh, reacting to an ominous boom. And so in this minute, Steppenwolf is synchronizing the mother boxes. And so the, uh, the world will hear this, this uh, unity happening. So not much left for the Justice League in this minute as the Flying Fox uh, finishes its um, big chorale of music and the crescendo's happening and then the scene will kind of just end itself. Um, but then we'll get to the other side of this uh, part uh, this final act of this movie, which is going to the antagonist, to Steppenwolf, who now has all three mother boxes. And so, um, you know, he's, he's completed his quest. He says in this minute, he says, prepare for his arrival. Uh, my redemption is nigh. And so all the parademons are here. The mother boxes are here. He's kind of won the battle in this moment. And so, you know, he's telling the mother boxes to... Um, what does he say? Does he say uh, synchronize? Synchronize. He says synchronize. Oh yeah, yeah. Synchronize and unite. Unite and then synchronize. Unite. Unite and then synchronize. Um, so it's a really, really cool Steppenwolf moment here. Lot, lots of great lighting. Lots of cool little imagery for Steppenwolf. But I really like, uh, as we've talked about so many times, Nathan and I. But I want to hear your thoughts, Sam. Is that we? I I, I love this Arthurian slash Shakespearean way that he talks especially when he says the redemption is nigh. Sam, what are your thoughts on Steppenwolf? Yeah, I felt like he had a very consistent mode of speaking. You know, it's in English, so that's fine. That's just movies, you know. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I always feel like it's kind of in character. So whatever Chris Terrio did or working with Karen Hines or whatever, I feel like they found the voice and that they kept it like pretty consistent through all of his different scenes um, and stuff. So yeah, that's good. And it's also just another chance to appreciate his design. Like the lighting is really interesting how it comes off of his, you know, living armor kind of thing. Um, And I love his hands. He holds his hands out like to both sides as it's like uniting. And I just always thought his hands were really cool in this movie. They look really cool. (laughs) Um, And then having two opposable thumbs on one hand has got to (laughs) be, it's got to be really cool to have. That is a (laughs) monster's hand. (laughs) But it also just, you know, this is the only minute where I get to kind of like talk about the apocalyptian sort of theme. But I I felt like also the design was very consistent where Steppenwolf has this armor that kind of comes out, comes and goes. And it's kind of this living armor sort of thing. And the mother boxes, especially in this minute, you can see it. The mother boxes also have this little, you know, stuff that comes in and out and like textures that sort of move around on it. And then Mm. you were talking before about cyborgs, um, like I think yesterday, cyborgs, angular kind of design. But it's it also has an apocalyptian sort of origin to it, and so it also makes sense that Cyborg has this sort of like moving stuff that will stick out and sort of move over here and do that configure into this. And so I just feel like there's this consistency from the boxes to Steppenwolf to Cyborg and and all these things that are apocalyptian. So for me, it's all just like working like it's all been set up and it's all been seen earlier in the movie, but now it's just all coming to fruition like all together. 
Yeah, we, we talked about it um, a couple weeks ago that when we look at Krypton's history and its architecture before its collapse, um, it naturally Krypton had all these um, architecture and, and, and culture that was without angles. Everything was like French curves and very mm-hmm. organic looking. Yeah. And then we look at Apocalypse and it has the exact opposite. Everything is angular. There are no curves. There's It's very imperialistic. And so mm-hmm. we see these two alien cultures, one that is very fluid and organic, and then one is very straight cut and very cubic, uh, mm-hmm. not like the art and style, but cubic in, in the sense of like yeah, angular. Just pokey, and so even his, pointy and pokey. Yeah. <laughs> like, very sharp. Prickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you see that with Cyborg's armor as well, where they're just, he's a, he's a cyborg with no uh, no curves to it. Nothing smooth about it. Everything is just angular um, and jagged, just like if the mother box had to create the image of man, but using only polygons, that it would create something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very fascinating. The kind of the... Um, um, the shape of apocalypse, like it's 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 its own texture. Um, it's very uh, it, it creates the character of what uh, apocalypse is basically. And you were saying the inverse of the Kryptonian side being more rounded and not cubism. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. which is yeah. kind of cool to think about because, like, naturally, you would think, especially you know when we're talking about organics and stuff, um, there are curves and and dips and and crevasses and whatnot um but then you know apocalypse has uh, gosh what was i i I just had the thought on the top of my brain and i completely lost it oh my god well i it was more of a comparison again yeah it it made me think of uh i mean look at superman look at his shield that s is a very angular shield but inside the s is very you know that organic curves of the s itself and so he kind of balances both out a bit you know there's something we talk about with these superheroes is that they balance each other out um and why and you know angular and and sharp corners and not rounded like you know natural that like planets uh things like that of that nature like why is why are mother boxes so jagged and i don't want to say crystalline because like but also you could because you know hard substance uh not much movement for like budging but it still adapts and grows kind of thing i'm now i'm just spitballing now i'm just well yeah i mean i now think you're onto something yeah because apocalypse is a colonial planet that is literally taking over other planets and stuff and so it's it's gonna stab its way in and it's gonna kind of have pointy elbows to like come in and take your territory over and stuff yeah whereas krypton was more like it it gave up on its colonization and it's like mm-hmm. exploration and so it was much more like we are going to just curve and fold in on ourselves, you know, whereas Apocalypse is more like, no, we're expanding and we're going to like we're going to stab our way across the universe into other places and stuff. Like, I don't know. To me, I get more of like a violent kind of thing from these angular spikes and that kind of thing. Yeah, very sharp. And I think maybe that that um, lends itself to Krypton's evolution, which was that, you know, Krypton became less organic and, and curvaceous and then like it, it embraced the angular and the sharpness of like what apocalypse was and that led to krypton's demise is where general zod became the sword instead of becoming like the home mm-hmm. uh, like 
um, like Jor-El wanted it to be. And so Jor-El was like, and his family was like the last of like that organic quality, mm. uh, that humanity. And like Krypton was like, nope, we're done with that. We're going to embrace the angles and the, uh, the jaggedness of it all. And so that was like how it caved in on itself, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's definitely, it's, it's, it's in there in the details of the, yeah. So Apocalypse also has the the dripping fire. That's kind of a visual theme for it as well. And it's in this minute for sure. Like it, the, it starts with this visual dripping lava kind of thing. Uh, and then that mm-hmm. reveals the boxes are there. Um, and I haven't put a lot of thought into like the meaning of that dripping fire sort of thing. But of course it is part of the visual language of Apocalypse from the comics and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And it also just looks cool sometimes. <laughs> like, like Very I know nice. we talked before about the <laughs> philosophical depth depth of these movies, but also sometimes the dripping fire uh, does look awesome. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's that's Zack Snyder, baby. That's just it's like it just looks very heavy metal. To How me, do you visualize really evil? Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it looks really cool. It looks like a heavy metal music video here. You know, just crazy demon uh, alien with fire lair yeah. and e- evil boxes and henchmen like it just looks it just lightning fire we talked about it with man of steel with the um the world engine and the world engine was like terraforming the planet and it had like these crazy metal tendrils and there was smoke coming out of the exhaust and there was lightning in the smoke and it's like only Zack Snyder would add lightning to smoke but to show <laughs> how high energy yeah this s- smoke and destruction of this planet like how unnatural it was it was like yeah well this uh, smoke and exhaust is just so hot that there's heat lightning in the smoke and so he he's like if i want to show something really hardcore and heavy metal like i know how to do it because that's in my wheelhouse and we see that with um with rebel moon um and we see it with with army of the dead like we know how to he knows how to make things look really Mm -hmm. heavy metal so yeah it's really cool this is also a nice spot where the three mother boxes are together. And so if people hadn't noticed before, now you get a really good chance to see that they have color coded the mother boxes. And that's just kind of a nice way to be able to track them throughout the movie and stuff is to give a little bit of a different color um, hue to each of them. And now you can see like, oh, yeah, they do have each have a different color. And you can now trace that back to, OK, that one was from Atlantis. And that was. Yeah, I, I like that. And again, lots of lots of threads coming together here now as we're getting into this phase of the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're lo- love the kind of video game uh archetype that they have going on for uh Steppenwolf's quest as a, as a villain to like paint a picture of like this is his progress as a character throughout this story and like to see that he's getting these mother boxes and now he's kind of won and like he's going to get his redemption like there's this whole story about the villain in this movie like it's four hours. We've got a story for the villain. You're going to love it. And I think a lot of people do, you know, and, and versus like the other version of the film where he simply just doesn't have it. Um, and so this moment here with Steppenwolf, as he says, prepare for his arrival. We know he's talking about Darkseid. It's a character that we've we've um, been introduced to multiple times in this movie. So we know who the bigger threat is. We know where this movie is projecting its future. And so... For him to say, you know, my redemption is nigh, we understand his journey. We understand, like, what he's going for, why he's going for it. We kind of want to see 
what that looks like, his redemption and this character. So there's, there's, there's been an investment of this character as well. So mm-hmm. it's just really important for the character. Right. But it, it shows also that Steppenwolf and Darkseid's relationship and even like Desaad, their relationship is much more toxic than the Justice League is forming. Like the, <laughs> the like we've been talking about all yeah. week, the Justice League is starting to form healthier relationships. They're starting to support each other. They're starting to build trust, all these things that we've been talking about. And now right here, you can see like, oh no, Steppenwolf and Darkseid have this very unhelpful one. Like he's been banished. He's just trying to prove himself. And like Darkseid is almost hoping mm-hmm. that he fails or like Desaad is undermining him. Like they're all like backstabbing each other and like almost rooting for failure. And it's all just like uh, jockeying for position or something. Like Darkseid doesn't seem to be really helping Steppenwolf. He's just more like, you're banished. You better do something to prove yourself worthy again in my eyes. And then Desaad is like... I, just mixing things up, I think, in a very schemey way that I don't trust, you know. So for me, it's like the mother boxes are coming together into unity. And so to me, that connects to the overall theme of like being stronger together and that when you unite, you can build on each other's strengths and that's better than isolation. That's what we've been following in the Justice League story. Um, And here, the mother boxes are coming together into unity, which is showing like if they are united, they're stronger. But if you go beyond that to Steppenwolf and them, it's like, oh, they're all terrible to each other and they're all like undermining and just, I mean, Desaad seems happy when Steppenwolf fails and like, I don't know. There's just very bad dynamics in their relationships on the apocalypse side. Yeah, very, very, very toxic. Unite (laughs) was like a big, you know, marketing thing for this movie, especially when it was out. And like, it seems like it was just kind of tongue in cheek as the catchphrase for whatever they wanted to do with justice league. Um, to me, it always seemed like they were kind of grasping at straws where it was like, Oh yeah, this is it's, obviously it's about unite. It's we're getting the gang together. You know, Marvel just did their thing with two movies and they had everybody. Now we got to do the thing and have everybody. So bring them all in unite. It really kind of fell flat for me at that time. Now, mm-hmm. after the fact, it's like, Oh yeah, this is like full circle. You were supposed to, like it, it, it was tongue in cheek of being unite, but like with good reason. Like everybody is uniting. There's a whole unity that is supposed to happen, and there is a actual unity that does happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you cannot just unite these IPs without having some sort of merit in its story. So it's like it's it's one thing for a studio to demand that a, a work of art make X amount of dollars, but that who creates the art needs to make sure that the art has the emotional value that like that um, warrants people spending money and, and being invested in a story. And so this movie is really tried and really the, the whole, the whole franchise arc of man of steel, Dawn of justice, justice league. It's like um, create a story where coming together means something. So Dawn of justice and being the Dawn of justice trilogy, it's like, we must, propel ourselves into like you know what does it mean to come together and Mm -hmm. and unite and the avengers the the first movie it does a great job doing that of um, in a very short two-hour film like it does like uh, and and that's the beauty of like being given the opportunity to create that story originally instead of being given someone else's movie and then like salvage whatever you can yeah, yeah yeah and turning it into that like Marvel's The Avengers 
does a really good job of like we're going to create that story where things are fractured and then we come together mm-hmm. and then by your final act you're just like yeah this is awesome this you know um cinematic universe decides to do that over a course of films mm-hmm. and so you get that by the end of this one it's like that's like it has meaning like i care about this unification and not just like making warner brothers happy because i don't want exactly warner brothers to be happy i want them to make more of these but you know i should feel happy watching them like i should enjoy it and Mm -hmm. this is this movie does that yeah and it ties into with like the history lesson like they they brought the unity up there as well like you know we all put aside our differences and we united because there was this threat so that you know it definitely goes throughout the whole movie um and the pretty much all of the characters on the justice league side have some sort of isolation at the beginning and then they break mm-hmm. down those barriers and they start to make the connections by the end so like i think chris terrio had this in mind i think he was like no i'm going to build this up in a meaningful way where we are going to talk about isolation versus connectedness um uniting getting more strength from each other and then i'm going to have the villain steppenwolf show the toxic side of that and how that doesn't work in a healthy way um so for me it does it it does hold together as like a coherent theme which which i always like appreciate that's one of the main things i look for in movies is i try to find out what is that theme and then does it actually make sense across characters and across different acts of the movie and that sort of thing yeah and i think um we we now have a a point where it's shown where he says like my redemption is nigh Mm -hmm. and so now we start to see a selfish side of the antagonist who says like i want this unification for my own redemption like this is my time like I'm going to be selfish in this moment. Oh, and yeah. That's going to inevitably be his downfall where he's like, it's, it was about me. Like, I want to go home. This is my thing. I need it to happen. Like, and so that selfishness of like this unification is like, Oh, you never really cared about right. any of that now. Like you just want to be served your, your due diligence. Right. So that'd and, be the complete opposite of what we were saying with Superman in the field. Like Superman in the field yeah. was like, you know what? I think I actually, now that I'm back, I need to do something else to help these other people. So he, he was not thinking, well. what's the most selfish thing I can do that now that I'm alive again? He's thinking, like, I think I need to do this thing to help other people that need it. So. Yeah. Batman as well in, in the Justice League 2017 version, he'll he brings a team together just to go do it. He's like like they'll land in Prajorna and he says, like, just get in there and get it done. Uh, you know, and it's like, why are you this cold still? Like yeah. this is the end of the movie. And he's just so he just just bringing this team together just to like what make someone feel happy about after you killed them or something like very wrongly written for the way that these movies have been evolving and but yeah it's like batman remains selfish in that other version of the movie whereas in this one he's like no you like i want to help you fly like i want i want to be there for you i want to help all of you like i want to be a changed person i want to do the right thing like i don't want to betray or kill other people anymore so like i want to be better um and I think, yeah, Steppenwolf will like embody what it means to stay in that selfish uh, way. I do want to say, um, I think the line, my redemption is nigh. And if, if some people really want to make the reach for it, it could be um, a connection to Watchmen, you know, with um, mm. Rorschach holding the yeah. sign. Nathan, were you? Were you no, I was, you yeah, rushed? it was just like, like that's obvious. That was there. That's not even, not, not so much obvious, but like, we got it. They did it before. They did it at Dawn of Justice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. true. I just don't yeah, think like it's like exactly that. I think the one at Dawn of Justice was the exact callback, but this one, I think it's just the style of dialogue that Steppenwolf mm-hmm. talks in. 
Yeah. So our last uh, scene here, it'll be back at Themyscira. You know, the unification is happening. The unity is happening. And we'll see this boom in Themyscira. And Menelipe, and I'm assuming this was Queen Apollota that was walking away. Um, yeah, it is. And, yeah, and then Menelipe will turn um, to look out into the distance because the world is going to start reacting to this unity that's happening. So the whole world is going to be affected by this. Yeah. This is another um, important note for later uh, if there were two other films about some of the characters that might be involved with the finale of this quintology. But it's nice to see uh, Menelipe here again, played mm-hmm. by Lisa Loven Kongsley. We've talked a lot about her in Wonder Woman and then also in the beginning of this movie when it was very much a Wonder Woman movie um, before it became more of a Justice League movie. So it's nice to see that character again. Yeah. Yeah. Nice continuity there. Um, and like for fans of the whole cinematic universe, you, you get a lot of connection from seeing her, you recognize her and that sort of thing. Uh, within this movie, I like it that it's a callback to the very, very start when Superman's death scream, like goes across different shores and stuff. And so it's a very similar thing. Like, okay, we saw this kind of, we saw this moment happen of something terrible that then rippled across, including to Themyscira, you know, like even Themyscira is affected by this. And now we see it again, like, Oh, another bad thing is happening. This unity is calling and it's rippling across even to Themyscira. So I just feel like it's, it just shows that coherence even within this one movie of uh, bringing the world in and that it is to another scope and scale than like um, some of the other movies in the cinematic universe. Like this one's a Justice League movie. So we are going to have multiple times that we're going to kind of show the the global scale of it. Yeah. And not so much as like different stories happening within that global scale. Like, you know, these this group of characters here are doing their own thing completely separate than what like the main storyline is going on. Um so it's like just like the subtlety of just like, oh yeah, they're still all included, you know? Um, and it makes sense because they would they know that that mother box was taken. And so they're like, I wonder what the heck is happening with those. Probably nothing good. So like, yeah. And the fact that like Atlantis, like it didn't could do a shot of Atlantis if, you know, maybe they heard anything. But also um, uh, Themyscira had like more stock in their mother box like they made a point to like protect it uh, all the time you know what i mean like it was more atlantis was like "Eh, we kind of we're kind of short on staff we don't really have (laughs) people to do that you know like mare is there Mm -hmm. sometimes but like you know you don't have anybody abandoned outposts like there's two atlantean guards and they said we're doing a good job here no one can come into the the no one's gonna come underwater like well that gotta happen yeah, no, that was um, there is there's some cool trivia about Menelipe here. Um, she is, you know, really featured in this scene here and, and really like both, uh, you know, uh, really in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League. She has a, she has a big part here in this movie. Um, but I want to I want to share some trivia about her because I think we overlook it. But she was supposed to have more impact in this story. And really, in the five film arc, she was supposed to have a little bit more. So there's um there's been some hypotheticals um that menelipe has a closer connection to antiope who who died in wonder woman but it's believed that she's um had some sort of partnership 
relationship with Antiope um, that was more romantic than mm-hmm. it may have been stated. Um, and so she does play kind of like a familial role in, in Diana's life. Um, but Zack Snyder has stated that in the initial plans for Justice League, that Menelika was going to have more significance and actually be the one who fires the Artemis arrow to Diana hmm. without Queen Hippolyta knowing. Because Queen Hippolyta, who's banished uh, Wonder Woman from the island at the end of, uh, in the beginning of Wonder Woman, she um, would not be the one to send the arrow, and that Menelipe would be the one to go send it. Now it is it it, it works either way because Queen Hippolyta does um, um, repent for that decision in this version because she's the one who fires it, and she's like she wants to make amends with her daughter, and she's trying to warn her. So it works that way too. Um, but yeah, in, in the original conception, it would just been Menelipe who did it in, in stealth to then send that that um, arrow of Artemis, and then in the sequel to this film, which would be Justice League Two, um, Menelipe would meet Diana in the Louvre Museum that she works at, um, and then Diana would, with Menelipe's guidance, find Themyscira again. And then Diana would return to Themyscira with Menelipa's assistance. Um, and then, um, you know, um, there's there's more information about um, just Diana and Menelipa working together for what would be kind of like a new subplot for Justice League 2. And so giving a new Themyscira arc for Wonder Woman would be like, well, how do we take a character from that world and like help Diana um, do what she needs to do to defeat mm-hmm. Desaad or whoever was going to be like the big bads of of the second film, and maybe lead into um, becoming the the new god of war. Maybe Menelipa would help her in that regard as well. It's really cool that kind of parallels um, Aquaman with uh, Mera mm-hmm. yeah. bringing bringing yeah. Arthur back down. Yeah, I'm returning to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it really does work that way. Um, but in, 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 in the comic book, she's um, described as like one of the oracles. So it kind of helps in that way as well, like an oracle helping Diana uh, return. I could definitely see it, though, that the Menelipe coming and then maybe helping Diana find the way back to Themyscira and reconnecting. I feel like that could be something in Justice League 2. Because like, I feel like this Justice League 1, it's kind of needs to stay focused on the team coming together and then sort of dealing with the Steppenwolf kind of threat. And then it's like, oh, crap, we think that something bigger is on the way. Themyscira knows about this. And then in Justice League 2, Diana's like, we, I better find some way to get back to Themyscira. And, like, you know, think, mm-hmm. things are different now than when I left, and it's, it's worth it to try to get back there. So for me, I could kind of... For the clarity of this movie, I feel like... Queen Apollo was actually the right one to put front and center. Yes. And then uh, if there was a story meeting or something like that, I would have probably voted on the side of let's save that little subplot about going back to Themyscira. Let's actually put that in Justice League 2 is probably the side I would have been on. There's no right answers or wrong answers, of course, but like that. that no, I, I yeah. feel that. I feel that more because then it's still it's still an adventure, you know. Mm-hmm. still have it's to go the nice. journey i guess and i also think in justice league 2 you might have people that have to split off in some ways so like diana has to split off to themiscara somebody else has to split off for this reason and that's part of what you that's part of the flow you'd want to have so justice league 1 is coming together justice league 2 is you kind of have to split up and then justice league 3 you somehow come back together in the the big finale yes because um we at some point 
in the in in the in the nightmare, you know, Diana's body is on that pyre mm-hmm. in the mascara. She has That's right. she has to return there. The end of this movie in in the epilogue where it's like um uh, a father twice over, we'll see Diana again with the arrow of Artemis from where she found it and like staring off into the ocean. And it's 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 pro- it's pro- projecting that like okay in the next movie or in her own next movie that her journey will be to return to Themyscira. So we know that the roadmap is like okay next things up is like Diana's gonna go there. Now how does she get there? Well, we need someone to go help her get there, and that's gonna be Menelipe. Will be her new supporting character, and you know we can you know there's so much potential with like maybe she did have a love interest with Antiope. Maybe they're both you know. Um, trying to honor Antiope's death, and then they'll connect to uh, connect with each other as characters. Um, and so there's a lot there when you use Menelipe as a character, and to show her in this scene again, it adds fuel to that fire of like, look, look, use that character, go use that character, and like you can do that in other things. But what's also good about the second film for Justice League, what would it would be, is like we've united these um, six or seven Justice League members. But now if we're going to unite the world as like a Justice League of, of the entire world and, and, and return to the Age of Heroes like they defeated Darkseid the first time, we must unite uh, Atlantis and Themyscira and Man's World. Mm-hmm. Like we have to go get those worlds and bring them in as yeah. well. And so, you know, maybe even Batman's other film would be like yeah. finding his Bat family and bringing them in as well. And and so that would be the the other part of Justice League is like the Justice League two would start with like the team doing something together, and so you have a big action opener similar to Age of Ultron where the whole team is in unison and they're doing their thing. But now it's like okay, well now we have to branch out, mm-hmm. go get our own worlds, bring them together, and so that the whole world is united even yeah. further as we prepare for Darkseid, who's just going to come in and just like stomp the place, and then it's going to end on a on a tragedy like empire strikes back and then you have your third final justice league movie that will you know like wait no we can do this <laughs> so, so uh i've seen the aquaman sequel um and it actually fits in pretty well with that like it, it fits in with this idea of okay aquaman has joined up but now how is he going to rally like atlantis more broadly and how are they going to be brought into like more of a connection with the rest of the world and stuff and it it I, yeah, I don't want to get too spoilery, but I feel like it actually moves the ball forward on like that broader story that could have been happening if we were like leading to another Justice League movie or something. Yes, absolutely. And I think Patty Jenkins wanted to do the same thing with Wonder Woman, which not to steal the thunder from Justice League Part 2, but that it would be like, well, I want Wonder Woman's third movie to be that story, that she would go back to Themyscira and have some unification with her mother again. Um, and so, yeah, I think both, I think Patty Jenkins as well wanted that to be the journey mm. for Wonder Woman. I really like the, uh, the, the night attire on Themyscira. It's just yeah. like some, that is some excellent wardrobe. Um, it just feels real and it feels more real than seeing them in like battle ready armor. You know what I mean? Um, the fact that like these characters do have other lives outside of action and, and warrior, um, it's just more fitting, you know? Um, I'm trying to think if we saw any of that in 
Wonder Woman. Uh, we saw like townspeople and whatnot, so that was a good, uh, I guess, side, you know, two sides of mm-hmm. a good perspective of what yeah. that looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 have um, what looks like armor, but then it's very like form fitting, but it's also like. Um, soft in a way where i mean you could see queen of Palta moving and she looks like she kind of like a like a kind of like a armored like uh uh comma or like uh, you know uh, it's like a i guess it's like a waist down dress but it's like it looks like it's got metal but it's still bending and got a little separation of plates i hate to use that word again but <laughs> that's what it seems like it has um so yeah just really nice design there um it, it helps keep Themyscira looking antiquated, but at the same time mythological. So it's not too like um, swords and sandals looking. Like there's still that like comic book aspect of like, no, you guys are like royalty, you've been mythological, but you also look like you're from ancient Greece without looking too um, realistic of that time period. So it's very nice. Did Wilkinson, well, Wilkinson, did Wil- Wilkinson do yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, do the wardrobe for the two three hundred movies? Oh, um, that is a good question. I can look that up real quick. Okay, because it's like but, I mean, if it's already in the wheelhouse, then you know, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. It, um, let's see here. It yeah, they on Tron. They do have the. On, they did. there is some shine to it for sure, but but then it does seem soft and flowing for like the skirts that go down. Um. Mm-hmm. But the stuff on the shoulders, yeah, it still seems like it's a little bit of a tougher material. But yeah, he did uh, the costumes for three hundred. Too um, easy. Too easy. Yep. He did three hundred. He did Watchmen, uh, Sucker Punch, Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part One and Part Two, uh, Man of Steel. He did Andor, Tron Legacy, um, Aladdin, the new Disney movie. Um, the remake all right all right all right and uh yeah uh that's that those, those are the big ones it looks great um and whatever this area of them is get if this is like the palace i love it i want to i want to be there mm-hmm. you can't you're not allowed i know <laughs> <laughs> maybe if you can fly a plane and then somehow crash it you can they'll let you in but you got to get your Chris Pine haircut again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that's about it. So, Sam, before we wrap up today, I, you know, again, I want to say thank you for joining us today. But any closing notes from you? Oh, no, I'm just uh, overall very happy that this exists. And I think we all like have to remind ourselves that it's actually pretty amazing. And we sort of beat the probabilities that this even exists at all. I think the timing had to be just right. I think the. <laughs> effects studios needed to have the work because of the pandemic. And I think HBO max needed to like, they wanted some original, like I think there was a lot of stars that had to align the fan support, you know, at that time was still pretty positive and was mostly trying to put forward a positive vision. I think more recently we've lost our way a little bit and we've just gotten into a lot more negativity, um, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is as productive. I know sometimes it maybe feels cathartic for people to like rail against something Um, But I think what was productive was the positive push for this creative work that was mostly there. And it was like, just let it out. And this was it was that positive ask for like what we wanted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's cool that this exists. And every once in a while, I'll just kind of have that realization like, wow, like we we could have been in a universe that this didn't exist at all. But luckily, we sort of backed it up and it did work out. I also think it's amazing that like all three of the movies in this Dawn of Justice trilogy, the movie like actually comments on real life. Like Man, mm, Man yes. of Steel, you have Superman and Superman. It's about him having the freedom of choice and that him not being already like pre-programmed for a certain way of living, which is what Krypton was. Instead, his parents like made him free to like, you can choose and then you can rise to the moment. And, and yet people said, I want a different Superman. I want this other kind of Superman. Like people were imposing a predetermined form of Superman and they imposed it on the movie that was literally about the point of not having him be pre-programmed and having like the freedom of choice. And then there was like, Oh, he made these choices in the movie that I disagreed with. It's like, yeah, that's what comes with the power of choice is that it's hard to choose. And like, there's not easy answers and stuff. And they're like, it should have been written so that there was a way to get out of that choice. It's like, did you watch the movie? Like the movie is literally about free will and having the power of choice. And so, and like, that means you have to put, you have to put hard choices into the movie. And then uh, Batman V Superman is about, you know, it's about, a narrative being formed and then like the public just jumping on the bandwagon of like, we're scared of this. We're scared of this. We have to like, you know, hate this thing. And there's like the manipulations where uh, people are being pushed to like rush to judgment. And then what happens to like Batman V Superman, it just like sweeps the public. Like we hate that movie. We all think that it's bad. Did you watch it? No, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's terrible. It's like, do you realize you're getting swept up in this narrative that's getting pushed around and the movie itself actually critiques, you know, mob mentality and it critiques people just following along with a narrative like that. And then we get to this one and it's like, oh, yeah, this this movie is literally about a failure that then you roll back time and you get another shot at it. And then you get to, like, celebrate the victory. And then like that's literally what happened with the movie. It's I, it's amazing to me that all three movies like are a meta commentary on themselves. Yeah, it's very metaphysical. <laughs> I wonder if like if they ever did end up making a fourth and fifth one that it would fall into that same category and and naturally kind of would because like even making a new Justice League movie would do such a thing. It would be like, well, we got a second chance. You know, we have another chance to do this and and to see this dark nightmare happen. It's like it would I think it would naturally maybe end up in that same vein. Um, But yes, it's 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 quite fascinating. It's fascinating coming from you, a mathematician about the probability of this movie coming out. And <laughs> I wonder if you like challenge your students to like statistically explain the Snyder cut, like explain why, how this could have happened. You know, it'd be like asking like why ice cream sales increase during summertime. It's like, well, how, how is it that, that the Snyder cut, you know, has found its way to being released and see yeah. mathematically people can explain <laughs> streaming services and COVID and all this yeah, other yeah. stuff that would eventually lead into this. And, yeah, in 2018, yeah. what was the probability of this happening? I'd say pretty low, probably. And But then you can start to put pieces in place. Okay, but now if this happens in 2019, does that shift the needle at all? Maybe a little bit. Then like in 2020, whoa, some big stuff happened in 2020. That shifted the needle. Like, okay, now we're, now we're, yeah. have a chance. It's almost like the doomsday clock a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As, it, as it gets closer to midnight. But, uh, you know, also as well, if we look back at like 2017, 2018, it's like the chances of the A or cut of Suicide Squad very high in probability because yeah it's, like, well, it's already done it yeah. just needs to be released and then like as they announce like oh james gunn is gonna make a suicide squad movie it just like gets lower and lower in yeah. probability to now the point where it's like a finished movie hasn't even been released of uh 
Suicide Squad, and yet Justice League has been released. Yeah, it's very I know. Strange. And David Ayer, like you know, for a while he was putting out some things that seemed kind of optimistic, but then more yeah, recently I mean, he's kind of like, it's like, oh, I had a meeting, it didn't seem very good, but but then it doesn't seem like the door's totally closed on it. It just maybe didn't get like approved right now. I have, I still have a little bit of hope for the Ayer cut. Um, which would oh, be yeah. good because, yeah. Uh, yeah, Suicide Squad is probably my lowest personally rated like DCE movie. Although I love DCU overall, um, I would love to see a redemption for that one, like just a better version. Um, I do not hold out really any hope for like Justice League Two or Justice League Three, just because I'm thinking about how many moving parts are involved and how many people are moving on with their lives and all this, their careers, and like getting them back together. To me. To start something from almost scratch seems unlikely. But the air cut, it's like, it's just sitting right there. You just need to have some executives Mm -hmm. that have the bravery to just go ahead and put it out. And, uh, you know, they might have to admit that, yeah, you screwed up a little bit with the other one, but you still made some money back there. Just take the, just be humble enough to just put it out there. Are you punishing me because I didn't go see the beekeeper? (laughs) Did I have to go see it just to get the air cut come out? Like, I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. What I was hoping for was that 2024, since there's no like real DC movies coming out, I, I was hoping they would just be like, let's put out the air cut and that will close the book on the DCEU. It's like everything in the DCU is out and everything that's sort of in the closet has been released. And then 2025 can can move on. But that does not seem like what's happening. It seems like the only hope now is like Gun and Saffron sort of get off to a strong start and then they get more leeway and then maybe they'll just say like, yeah, let's throw it in. We don't mind. But some executives, they just need to have enough confidence to admit they made a mistake or not even them, but like WB made a mistake in the past. We admit it. Let's put it out. And I don't know what, why they're so afraid of it, but yeah. I don't know yeah, if they, they think wrong. they're going to undercut Joker part due like uh, uh, the second Joker movie because there's a Harley Quinn in there. And they're like, well, we don't want to have a reminder of the other Suicide Squad while that one's coming out. I don't know what they're thinking, but mm. Mm. I follow David Ayer on Twitter, and it just seems like, um, I mean, people ask him questions, he, and he answers, which is really cool. He answers so many questions just about random people and and Suicide Squad and stuff. I think the last one I read was, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, something somebody asked him if like if he had the opportunity to like do reshooting and stuff, uh, would you do? And he was like, absolutely not. I'm done. Like. That was, mm-hmm. I was, I'm done with that. I moving on, living my life. That was a project that it, it happened. It was in the past and it's over, but that was coming from like, would you work on it more? It's like, no, I'm, I wouldn't work on it more because I already did what I wanted to do. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not like things were left unfinished or, you know, he didn't leave in the middle of it. So I don't know. It seemed like he was more of just like, uh, yeah, the meetings didn't go the way they wanted to go. So it was just like, eh, okay. I tried. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think if some of these more recent DC movies had been more successful, then I think that that would have really increased the probability of the air cut coming out. Um, but instead a lot of the, even the air cut group, like has a lot of them have said, I'm not going to watch the new DC movies. And I'm like, well then you're just making the DC budget line get more crunched and more pained. And that's not going to loosen WB's like, uh, like, make them i don't know so i i was supporting it's a lot a very, of them it's a very tough conversation i know what you're saying man <laughs> it's 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 a double-edged sword really and but if there's more money flowing around then people are like all right i'm more willing to do a little bit of this or a little bit of that 
if everybody's feeling like they're losing money, then they're like, they scramble into fear uh, is my sense of just yeah. ma- b- being an administrator and seeing budgets and that sort of thing. The So as we wrap up, I, w- I want to talk about the Suicide Squad and then I'll talk about Black Adam really quick. But the Suicide Squad was one of those movies where I think Warner Brothers thought they were proving people wrong in a way and proving themselves right in a way of saying like, you know, we, we've got James Gunn, guy who makes all these great Marvel movies. It's going to make a DC movie. It's going to be great. And then sure enough, everyone does like it. And they were like, oh, see, like, this is what you guys want. And it's like, yeah, it is what we want. It's what we've been asking for with Zack Snyder is that you treat someone with confidence that they can make a movie in their vision uninterrupted by you. Mm-hmm. And so you see the Suicide Squad as like a complete vision story. And it's like, yeah, even though I don't like it or plan to rewatch it all ever, I like that you trusted someone, but you never give Zack Snyder that kind of confidence. You don't even give Patty Jenkins anymore that kind of confidence. David Ayer, James Wan, you had under a microscope the entire time he was making both Aquaman movies. Like, but James Gunn is just like, oh, here, here's here's the keys to the kingdom. Like, go go do whatever you want. And it's like, where is that confidence for anyone else? Like, that it's, seems, it's in their wallet, buddy. Yeah, and it's like, it's, but don't tell me like. Batman v Superman and and all the other Zack Snyder movies didn't make a lot of money because those movies do make money and just because Batman v Superman didn't make a billion dollars doesn't mean it was a failure like you have to start trusting these directors to tell the stories that they're going to tell the stories that are going to sell the merchandise and sell the marketing like you like James Gunn made a great movie because he was allowed to make a movie and what I think um, of Black Adam I think of like here's something that just promises the world. And like, like if you look any further past it, it's like, this is all just fake. <laughs> like you're just selling Henry Cavill and this DCEU and the Snyder versus back. And it's like, no, it's not. And like, this movie is nothing of the superhero stuff that we've been talking about. Like what great superheroes do and great storytelling. Like it's just a fake facade to sell the rock and Henry Cavill and like our old DC cinematic universe again. It's like, there's so many, like both those movies are just like the clear representation of like my problems with the current DC universe and like how Warner Brothers just hasn't learned a lesson yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they do one day. But uh, in, the, in the words of Zack Snyder, never say never. Yeah. And I also just, when I get you know, upset or frustrated about things. What I remind myself is we have Man of Steel, we have Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and now we have Zack Snyder's Justice League. I actually think it's pretty amazing that Warner Brothers, in one way or another, allowed those three movies to happen because I think a lot of other studios would have just been like, nope, Man of Steel, like, nope, he's not going to kill anybody. Nope, we're not going to make it that challenging. And Batman v Superman, like, definitely not too heavy, too thoughtful, too philosophical, like, all that stuff. Um, I feel like other studios, we never even would have gotten off the track, like, get Mm -hmm. started on these. And instead, it's like, oh, I actually have Man of Steel and Batman v Superman that I love, and then I have this movie to, like, wrap it up. So I feel I have to, at the end of the day, I have to be, like, kind of impressed that we got these at all. we still have them. Yeah, yeah. that that they exist at all. Because I think a lot of executives would have been, like, no way I like we want a Superman movie that's like this and we want a Batman movie that's only like that so it's cool that we have these (laughs) 
Exactly. I think there's a lot of gratitude that we need to have for Christopher Nolan, who is really championing these movies. And the reason why we still have them, I think Christopher Nolan was there to support Zack Snyder to get some of these movies made. And he listened to um, the reasoning for like killing General Zod and stuff and, and kind of like greenlit it. And without Christopher Nolan, who had like this Dark Knight trilogy behind him, this, you know, that to say, yes, let him let him do his thing. And so I think that's that's what led or paved the road to having these movies so um like you said sam it's, yeah. it's just great that we it have just these. yeah it didn't go it didn't go on as long as people want like people who like this it didn't go on as long as we wanted but i think it's we're kind of lucky to have them even three films you know yeah yeah and the snyder cut for sure all right we're gonna wrap up for today if you've enjoyed today's show please consider leaving a five-star review it really does help the show and helps new listeners discover our show as well if you'd like to join the conversation, you can chat with us on Twitter at DCEU Minute. And if you'd like to hear more bonus content, we also have a Patreon for just $3 with tons of other podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one here on DC Cinematic Minute.